This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Jackson, and I'm joined, as always, by George Smith. George, how are you? Oh, not bad, mate. Not bad. Obviously, still battling against a few personal issues at the minute in the family, but uh, hoping an hour in your company discussing the Championship all them. Take your mind not, off those. I'm not a miracle worker. Well, we can try it. We can try it. But uh, you often uh, bring up interesting conversation. And, you know, after a quite an interesting weekend in the Championship, I think it's going to attract uh, plenty of conversation and debate, this one. This might be the nicest intro we've ever done. It is. We're being nice to each other. doesn't I've happen very often. nice yet. Well, well, I'll be nice then. Okay. I think that suits us. I think that suits us. You'll be nice. I'll uh, I'll be me. Um, yeah, it has okay. been a good weekend in the championship. Um, obviously, I've been to Ewood Park today to watch Blackburn Rovers lose 4-1 to Leicester, which we'll get onto later. But it's been some big shocks. Obviously, West Brom winning at Preston. That was a surprise. Sunderland, emphatic, adding to Sheffield Wednesday's misery on Friday night. We've had two five-goal thrillers. Southampton bounce back. So plenty for us to get our teeth into in the next hour or so. Quick reminder, as always, to make sure that you are subscribed to this podcast feed. You can find us on all your usual platforms and follow us on Twitter at ChampChatPod24. We've nearly hit the 16,000 mark on Twitter. So if you don't follow us already and you listen to this podcast, what are you doing? And then after you've realised what you're doing, go and follow us on Twitter and then we'll hit 16,000 and that would be great. Um, and a massive thank you, as always, to Cards Accepted for supporting the podcast this season. If you're looking to take car payments with no contract or monthly fees, make sure you go and visit cardsaccepted.co.uk. They provide the discount on the RRP of all sum-up devices, so make sure you go and check them out. And as I say, it's been a good weekend in the Championship, and we'll be looking forward to breaking down the biggest talking points in the next hour. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. George, I think we should start at Deepdale, where the surprise result of the weekend came with Preston North End losing 4-0 at home to West Bromwich Shelby and a first league defeat for Ryan Lowe's side, having drawn at Rotherham United last weekend. Not an ideal couple of results for PE. But let's go big on West Brom because this is their biggest win of the season by far. A statement performance as well as victory. And they were head and shoulders above Preston. This was not a smashing... I mean, 4-0 results are very rarely a smashing grab. But in particular... This performance from West Brom matched up the result. Um, really nice goal to open the scoring through Darnell Furlong. The recalled and re-energised Alex Mowat played a really important role in this win as well in midfield next to Yukuslu. I think Mowat just gives them a bit of balance. And Mowat's career has been a very strange one because he did so well at Barnsley. Got the move to West Brom when Ismail was in charge. And I thought he'd be a Steve Bruce player, but he bombed him out. Um, didn't play that much at Middlesbrough because they got Hackney emerged and then, of course, they bought Barlazer as well. But I think Mowat's a different type of midfield to what they've got. You know, when I think of what they could play, usually they play, what, Malumbi uh, and Yukosu. I think they're a bit... Yes, Malumbi's more attacking and a bit more dynamic, but he's not got probably the quality on the ball that I think Alex Mowat has. And is obviously someone that breaks the play up. And I just think that's maybe a better balance. Yes, you get more legs, I would say, probably more athleticism with uh, Malumbi. But particularly for a, if West Brom are going to want to move up the table and, and control possession, having someone like Mauer in their midfield, I think makes a big difference. And he was he was the star man, certainly in the centre of the park in this game. And robbed Jordan Story, who had a pretty torrid afternoon in truth. He made the mistake which Mauer pounced on to make it two. It was Story who lost Carl um, Bartley as well for the fourth from a set piece, and Matty Phillips with a deflected strike in between those two goals. Um, big, big win this for West Brom. I say it's the statement win for them. They started without a striker, which was, which was interesting. Jeb Wallace sort of plays a false nine with um, Matt Phillips at left wing back, and then they had Grady Dean Garnett and um, John Swift sort of floating as number 10s in and around uh, Wallace in a fluid front three. So it'll be interesting to see what the sort of shape and system is going for because they've chopped and changed from a back four to a back three. They've messed about with the personnel. They've had injuries at times as well. But maybe this could be the sort of result that really kick-starts the season for West Bromwich Albion. You'd like to think so, wouldn't you? To go away to anybody and, and win 4-0 in this division is, is no mean feat whatsoever. But to have done it to the team that was the last unbeaten side in the league who'd won every home game so far is a massive statement of intent. And... I think for West Bromwich Albion, the weird thing has been that their performances haven't necessarily been that bad so far this season. 
the goals just have been difficult to come by. They've drawn two of the last three prior to their weekend's win at Preston, 0-0. But they've only lost one of the last eight games now, which is kind of a sign that shows West Brom are on the right path. They're just lacking the goals. As you said, they didn't start with a, a natural number nine at the weekend, but it didn't it didn't dent their chances at all. It's the second time this season that they've scored four in a game now. Obviously beat Middlesbrough 4-2 back in August. But I think for Carlos Corbran now, the challenge is, can they put a sequence of wins together? That's the thing. They've not won back-to-back league games so far this season. Yeah, I feel like it's been... I didn't know they'd not won back-to-back. Sort, of, sort of stop-start, start, hasn't like it? One step forward, one step back. Yeah. Very, very similar. And of course, they've only won three of their opening nine games this season. And two of those were in within the first four games when they got a draw sandwich between those two wins away at Leeds United. So it was also the first away win of the season as well, which I'd not actually picked up on until looking at their results a moment ago. So a big statement of intent for West Brom. Like you said, Alex Mo almost felt like he was at the heart of everything that West Brom achieved at the weekend. A really influential performance from him in the centre of the park. Obviously, Furlong opened the scoring with a beauty, and then Jordan Story made a bit of a bit of a mess for the second goal, and then Phillips and Bartley in the second half finished the job off. So, a big statement victory for West Brom. And like I say, the task now is to build on it. They've got Sheffield Wednesday at home on on Tuesday night. Based on how things are going at the moment, there you'd expect West Brom to to win that at an absolute canter. You you would be very very naive to to think that West Brom won't win that game. So, and then they've got the big. Big derby on Friday night against Birmingham City, who are also having a bit of a wobble at the minute. So, an opportunity for West Brom to lay down a little bit of a marker in the in the next week or so with with two games in the space of just four days. So, really keen to see how they kick on. Big victory at the weekend, and one that I must admit I didn't see coming. I thought Preston would maintain that good home form because even though they, <coughs> excuse me, I don't know where that came from. They uh, they dropped points at Rotherham uh, the week before. But the performance was there at the New York Stadium. They did play some good football that day. On another day, probably would have won that game. So, Preston really have been ticking along really nicely. And there was no sort of signs here yesterday that they were going to be on the receiving end of a bit of a battering. So, for West Brom, as I say, the challenge for them now is, can they string a sequence of results together? Can they kick on? Like I say, Sheffield Wednesday and Birmingham are their next two games prior to an international break. And after that, they've got back-to-back home games against Plymouth and Queen's Park Rangers. So, the fixture is certainly on paper... It looks favourable for West Brom in the coming weeks. Three of the next four at home. So they've got to find a way to just try and establish a little bit of momentum and build up ahead of steam, ahead of the fixture list. Come November, just looking that little bit tougher. They've got quite a tough run November into early December, which is going to sort of give us an indicator of where this West Brom side is at. As for Preston, though, when you isolate it, obviously, a bad result of the weekend, poor performance. They, they were outclassed in every single department, even though they gave West Brom a bit of a helping hand. At the end of the day, though, yes, they've taken one point from the last two games. It's a little bit underwhelming. But when you zoom out and have a look at it properly, sort of all together, they're third after nine games. They've taken 20 points from a possible 27. They've won six. It's been a very, very good start. If you'd offered any Preston fan in the world one defeat in the first nine games they'd have snapped your hand off to go with six wins as well. So a bad day at the office. Every championship club has them in a season. Let's see how they respond. But uh, overall, Preston, you know, they've had a really, really good start. Yeah, they've got Leicester away and Ipswich away this coming week. So that's going to be really interesting to see. Tough, very tough. I think there'll be changes. I looked at the Preston bench and I know this team has done really well for them and I'm not for one second suggesting that Rhino should have made changes because if it went wrong, you'd be saying, why have you changed the winning formula? But... You look when they've got Frocker Jensen, Will Keane, uh, Ben Whiteman all on the bench. I think they'll come in and I think we'll start to see maybe what we expected Preston's strongest team to look like at the start of the season. George, one of the surprise results was the early kickoff in the Championship on Saturday. And that was a win for Southampton against Leeds United, which I don't think many would have seen coming. Um, Saints, of course, had lost four in a row under Russell Martin as the pressure ramped up. Leeds United starting to really click into gear, beat Watford comfortably last weekend. But the Saints were the better team in this one and deserved their three points. Adam, a bit of a, a tactical restructure from Russell Martin. He played, first of all, he played with two recognised centre-backs, which is a good start. Instead of playing Shea Charles as a makeshift centre-back, uh, Bednarek was fit again, so he partnered Harwood Bellis. Instantly makes them more solid. But he went with Alcaraz up front instead of Shea Adams. And Adam Armstrong, rather than playing a, a deeper role, he played off the right-hand side, but basically like a split striker with Suleimana on the other side. And it just gave them a bit more security in midfield, I think, against, obviously, a very strong Leeds. Uh, and Armstrong took his goals so well. The second in particular, where he sits down, uh, stroke, I think it is, and just 
just it's a great finish from a tight angle to get it past Meslier. Smallbones finish was very good as well after a good pick out from Sulimana. An off day for Leeds, but a very good performance and a much needed win for the Saints. A huge win for Southampton. I uh, I watched as much of this game as possible on Saturday lunchtime whilst I was working. I had it on and sort of in the background, keeping a close eye on it. And Southampton in the first half obviously went 3-0 up at the interval. They were very, very good. They were relentless when they went forward. They looked like they got a spring in their step and almost as though they, they knew they had to win this game. They've got to make a point. Even like, got, even they did. They looked more well-rounded. They did. They looked a lot better and a lot better structured and Armstrong off the right-hand side, obviously it was a new tactical element Russell Martin introduced and boy, did it work. Obviously, he got a couple of goals. Uh, I think you've got to credit Will Smallbone for the composure he showed for the second goal as well. He took that so, so well. I so Smallbone in this role. I do. He, yeah, I think he can score goals like he did at Stoke. He did. I know he's played he, in this role for a few weeks now, but I think it's a more settled system with Stuart Armstrong, who's more box-to-box. It lets just gives Smallbone a bit more creative licence, I think, with Flynn Downs behind him. I prefer that to when he plays as the, the, the pivot. Yeah, definitely. It frees him up, and as we saw at Stoke last season, he's got goals in his game, and obviously he took it brilliantly at the weekend. Such a composed finish, and obviously that, that doubled Southampton's lead. Then Armstrong got another one just before the break to... To you know, sort of rubber stamp the victory and get the three points. Leeds made a bit of a fist of it in the second half. Obviously, got one back through Pascal Strout, but that was as good as it got. And the Saints, like we said, boy, did they need it. They they obviously lost four in a row. I actually found a stat in the build up to the game that I actually put on the Twitter page on Saturday morning that had they lost on Saturday, it would have been the first time they'd lost five league games in a row outside the top flight since February 1957, nice. which was kind of an eye opener to suggest just how bad their form had been in recent weeks. So to have got back on track, not just sort of getting that win, but to have done it against a Leeds team that had obviously been very, very good in recent weeks, certainly defensively. Uh, and again, another team that are expected to be up there come the end of the season is a bit of a bit of a statement victory. Obviously, Southampton have been cut apart defensively in recent weeks. So similarly to West Brom, the challenge now is for them to try and put a sequence of results together. Can they lay down a marker? Can they kick on? And can they get into a position where almost all of us expected them to be at the beginning of the season? They've got two games coming this this week. Stoke away on Tuesday night, Rotherham at home next Saturday. Realistically, if Southampton are going to want to push for promotion this season, that's got to be six points. It has to be. Four would probably be acceptable, but anything less would be a really, really poor return for a team that you know, quite clearly have got a lot of quality. They have got superb attacking talent, as we saw at the weekend. Adam Armstrong, we know how devastating he can be at this level. And again, similarly to West Brom, favourable couple of fixtures coming up, then it starts to turn in a few weeks' time where they've got sort of the the higher-end teams who are knocking on the door in in search of the same goal. So, going to be interesting to see how they develop. A big win for them. But I think for Daniel Farker, from a Leeds point of view, he'll be hoping it was just just a one-off because... He accepted after the game that it was nowhere near good enough. But as we've seen him recently, when they won at Millwall, they won at home to Watford last weekend. Leeds, this group of players, as I praised them a lot last week with the quality that they've got, they've got the ability to turn it on. They know what they can do. So I think similarly to what Preston will be hoping, a flash in the pan, bad day at the office, and let's see how they respond. Let me tell you about Blackburn Rovers 1, Leicester City 4. Fox is going back to the top of the league after beating Rovers at Ewood Park. Um, they went ahead after only four minutes, Vout Fass heading in from a corner. Um, Sam Smollett's got them level, p- pouncing on a, a mistake from uh, Harry Winks. Well, it was just a mistake from the goalkeeper, really trying to play the ball out uh, to Winks, who was under extreme pressure from Lewis Travis. That's six in the league now for Smodics, already beating his tally from last year. Um, Vardy put them back in front, getting away from Hayden Carter. And I thought, again, like, from a Blackburn perspective, they've now got the joint worst record defensively in the league. They've conceded 20 goals, 16 in their last five. That's 3.2 a game in the last five games. Now, there has been a step up in opposition when you look. They've played Sunderland, they've played Ipswich, they've played Leicester. But they've been really poor at the back. And they've conceded a lot of goals similar to that first one that Valtfest scored. You'll remember last week they conceded after four minutes against... Ipswich, it's these second phase set pieces they're not doing very well, or first phase in this instance, but they've conceded a similar goal from a corner in the last three games. And that's sort of the, the sort of stuff that's really, you know, easy to cut out. That's the sort of stuff that's really hard to defend or really um, allow. 
you can't be conceding the amount of goals that they are conceding at the moment. As I say, I think a few players that have been so consistent for them in 2023 need a break. I'm a huge Hayden Carter fan. He definitely needs a break. I'd be shocked if he starts against um, Coventry in midweek. He needs a break. Um, but the big the big moment in this game, because this really wasn't a 4-1 game. Obviously, as I say, Leicester were leading 2-1 at half time. They were good value for it, but Rovers still in the game. Uh, the big opportunity was Lewis Travis at 2-1. Ball breaks to him 10 yards out, gets his shot away. It's a really good save from Hermanson. Smodic's rebound is then blocked. And then probably about five minutes later, Leicester got the other end. Um, Carter, who I've just been speaking about, brings down Vestergaard in the area. It's a little bit soft, but it is a foul. But I think Thomason's comment after the game was, you can give it, but you're going to have to give 10 a game. It probably is accurate. It, you see that sort of incident happen a lot and it's not consistently given. So I think that's where you're a little bit like, it's a bit unlucky, but it, it is a foul ultimately. I wish they probably just gave them for every single incident that happens like that. So people would stop doing it. So it was poor from Carter anyway. It was naive. And once it was 3-1, it was game over and, and uh, Jewsbury Hall came on and, and sorry, he didn't come on. He, he latched onto a, a ball in behind and made it 4-1 with a clever little dink over the goalkeeper. So I thought Leicester were good. I didn't think they were wow. They're not the best team I've seen this season, but they didn't need to be. And they didn't really need to get out of second gear to beat Rovers 4-1, which is quite the statement from them, really. Top of the league. Um, playing good football. Casey McAteer went off with a hamstring injury, which would be a bit of a concern for them. But yeah, they, they, they were good. Vestergaard was very good, I would say, at the heart of the back three. It really suits him, that sort of position. And to say they've lost Callum Doyle this week as well to a, a long-term injury. James Justin did really well starting in that sort of left centre-back role when, when Leicester have got the ball. So good win for Leicester. Rovers concerned defensively, as I say, they, they're just not good enough in both boxes, but particularly the defensive third at the moment, which some of the goals are down to the quality of the opposition and down to the fact that Rovers are chucking men forward, but an alarming amount are now becoming just poor pieces of defending. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'd not actually realised, and this just goes to show that I've not really been focusing on certain teams' sequences of forms. I didn't realise it was now four defeats in five for Rovers. I knew it was three on the trot, but I didn't realise it was four in five, which is a little bit concerning. But like you you said on your Twitter page this afternoon, I saw a couple of your tweets saying you've got to take into account the standard of the opposition that they've played. They have had a tough set of fixtures in recent weeks, let's be fair. The last three, for instance, Sunderland, Ipswich, Leicester, all three teams currently occupying top six spots in the top four, to, to be exact. So, for Yondal Thomason, I think the defensive record recently will be will be very concerning to have shipped 11 goals in the last three. It's mad, I think. Yeah. Conceded four in your first five. Seven in the last two home games as well, which is a little bit concerning. But again, you've got to, you've got to appreciate the standard of the opposition that they've been up against. So, th- there is cause for concern at Rovers at the minute. Had a good win in the week in the Carabao Cup. I think that should be mentioned. They did get a good win against Cardiff in the in the Carabao Cup to progress to the next round. They got a nice little trip to Chelsea uh, in uh, in the fourth round. I've been in the. Away I was just going to say. I bet you're not, looking forward to that. I've not been in the press facilities, and I'm. Uh, it's pretty renowned as one of the best. So yes, it I'm is. I'm going to be taking Ziploc bags and coming home with uh, <laughs> two bags full on the train when I come back on uh, on Thursday morning. <laughs> well, before that. Let, let's um, hope they can turn their league form around. I think that's going to be the bread and butter, hasn't it? But to be fair, with the way Chelsea are going at the minute, it might stand a chance in that game. Chelsea not been particularly good so far this season. But back to the, this game and Leicester, they're a team, aren't they, that are just blessed with quality all over the pitch. They're an outstanding team for this for this level. It is, for me, it is the best in terms of squad depth in the eleven. It is the best team that the Championship has seen in terms of personnel on paper. And ultimately, though they've not hit top gear yet, and I would argue there's still a hell of a lot more to come from this side, eight wins from their opening nine is not to be sniffed at. It's a remarkable record. And again, you've got to give huge amounts of credit to Hull City for going to the the King Power and getting that win at the start of September. You really have got to praise them for that victory. It's the only game they've failed to win so far, Leicester. So already four points clear a third. Eight wins from the first nine, as I say. Jamie Vardy's starting to find his feet. He's becoming a more regular scorer now. Keenan Dewsbury Hall obviously getting in on the act again. Valtface has been absolutely outstanding at the back. Got Best a goal in it. Yeah, good, he's yeah. been he's been very, very good. He's probably been the unsung hero of that Leicester team so far. Sort of fans who don't watch Leicester week in, week out and not really a name. Obviously, yeah. none of us go searching for defenders, do we? We all go looking at attacking numbers and things like that. But he's been excellent. So... Enzo Moresca's got everything he could wish for, really. Obviously, the loss of Callum Doyle's a blow. 
but there's enough strength and depth in that squad to cover these absences. So they're just going to keep ticking along. They're they're a fabulous side, got fabulous set of players, and already I think there's going to be sort of even though we you know we're still very early days. We're not even ten games in, and everybody often says, don't they? We can we can judge things after ten games. We'll hit that this midweek. It's got to a point where you start looking at the league table and think they're going to be about there, they're going to be there. But this coming week, Leicester, back-to-back home games, Preston and Stoke City. Obviously, the Championship can spring a surprise, you never, ever know. But I'd be very, very surprised if we don't sit down and record the next episode of this podcast next weekend and Leicester have not hit the 30-point mark already. Sheffield Wednesday, nil, Sunderland, three. Do you want to take off the field and I'll do on it? We might as well. Not really much to discuss on the field other than it's absolutely awful. <laughs> well, where, where do we start? Friday the, the 29th of September 2023, Dave Chancier releases the most explosive statement I think I've ever seen for a football owner in my life. Eight o'clock Friday morning, 12 hours before kickoff, Dave Chancier releases... Before you get into the crux of it, the, most, the worst part of the whole thing for me is the, match day. the day of the game. Yeah, I agree. He'd had a full week to do it. Wednesday had not had a midweek game. And 12 hours before kickoff, he obviously drops a bombshell explosive statement confirming that he's not going to plough any more additional money into the club. They're saying that the fans have got no right to ask him to leave. He's branded the supporters as being selfish. He says, basically, you show me how to save the club in almost kind of a threat at the fans. It wasn't even he's obviously failed, was it? It was just a threat. Yeah, pretty much. And obviously he's brought up the, the the touchy subject of ticket prices yet again, which quite rightly supporters have bemoaned and vented their frustrations at. And then obviously 12 hours later, Wednesday, find themselves 2-0 down within eight minutes. I've never seen, watching the game on TV, I've never seen a football ground empty as quick in my life. They left in their droves. Uh, my, my dad was there on, on Friday night and he says, in 49 years watching Wednesday, He's never, ever left a game early. And he managed to stick it out till about the 80th minute, which he said was quite considerable with, with the way the first half an hour went. But he has said he's never seen a football ground empty like it. So it is an absolute sorry state of affairs. They are the worst-run club in the Championship by an absolute country mile. Dapon Chancery has single-handedly taken a sledgehammer to all of the hard work that was achieved by Darren Moore in a two, two-and-a-half-year spell. And I know a lot of people are getting a little bit frustrated on social media and sort of saying, you need to stop talking about Darren Moore. It's in the past. He's gone. He's moved on. He's got himself a new job at Huddersfield Town. But the bottom line is, Darren Moore was onto something at Sheffield Wednesday. I'm not saying that Wednesday, had they still got Darren Moore, they'd be riding high at the top of the league. I think they'd be in a comfortable, stable position, gradually continuing in a long-term progression path. No, not at all. I... I think it's an it's an absolute shambles. It is an absolute car crash of a football club from top to bottom at the moment. And, you know, people listening to this who may be listening to the first time or if we put a soundbite of this on the social media page, we, we are, you know, we, we cover this podcast being fair to all teams. We try to view it as neutrals, but both the pair of us, we are Sheffield Wednesday supporters. We've made no secret of that. And it is just horrendous to see at the minute. It's it's not proving much fun. It's proving painful. It's miserable. And it's just getting to the point now, every time Wednesday take to the field, you expect them to lose. Dapon Chancery is just destroying this football club. There's no doubt about it. He's just single-handedly, like I said, took a sledgehammer to all that Darren Moore achieved. And along with Chisco Munoth as well, who we've not even mentioned in all of this, between them, they have destroyed what was a, a, a club riding the crest of a wave. It had got so much momentum behind it, so much passion there after the way last season finished. And it's just an absolute car crash at the moment. And I think the bottom line is, which worries me now, is Chisco Munoth is in a position where he, his position at Hillsborough is untenable. Every single supporter I've seen wants him out. There's no doubt about that. His record is absolutely shambolic since he took this job. I think he's had 17 or 18 games now, including pre-season friendlies. He's won one in 90 minutes. One game. That was against Chesterfield in a 2-1 pre-season friendly. The only competitive game he's won was a, a penalty shootout against Stockport County in the first round of the Carabao Cup. And I was there that night on Wednesday. was so fortunate to get anything from that game. It was untrue. They were diabolical. 
So I just do not see where this sorry state of affairs ends because between them, the owner and the manager are just absolutely destroying this club. The fans, between them now, a lot of them, they're embroiled in a civil war and it is just a sorry state of affairs. I mean, going back to Darren Moore again, yes, the football at times wasn't glamorous, but he got results. There was a team ethic, there was a team spirit and ultimately everybody knew their roles. You watched that game on Friday night, that was quite possibly one of the worst performances from a team I've ever seen in the championship. What Wednesday were trying to do, I have absolutely no idea. Sunderland, quite literally, they could have sent their under-12s on Friday night and they'd have still won that game. This Wednesday side is a mess. Chisco Munoz, like you put on Twitter at the weekend, yes, he's been dealt a very, very bad hand, but he's not helping himself. He's playing players out of position. He's got players who quite easily could be playing, who he's frozen out completely. Marvin Johnson, Reese James, to name just two. Michael Heckel can't get a kick. Dominic Iorfa left out of the starting lineup on Friday with Bambo Diaby preferred. And it's just an absolute mess. One goal in the last five games. I mean, I could go on and on and on, but it is just an absolute mess of a football club. And until Dapon Chancery goes, which, judging by that statement, he's got absolutely zero intention of doing so yet, nothing is going to change. And it almost questions me now is he keeping Chisco Munoz? just to annoy the fans and wind them up even further. It has actually crossed my mind. Is he going to do that? Because let's be honest, the record that Munoz has got, how on earth is he still in a job? It I, is shambolic. I think what's probably more likely is he doesn't want to pay the compensation to get rid of him. Quite possibly. And I will just add as well, who was the person the day that Chisco Munoz got the job who messaged you and said, quite clearly, this has got disaster written all over it? You didn't have to be a rocket scientist to have made that prediction. No, but I could sense it, but I never expected it to be as bad as this, I must admit. Wednesday have been absolutely terrible. They've got two points from eight games. Sunderland, nine games. Don't give them too much. Don't yeah, give them sorry, further credit. Two wins from nine games. Um, Sunderland absolutely cruised to victory. My biggest problem... I think Sheffield Wednesday need to make a managerial change. And anyone who's listened to this podcast for any length of time will know that I am usually the first person to say, managers need more time, don't sack them. That's a stupid decision. I think if you went through all the changes last season, probably 80% would have, that would have been my reaction. I think that Cisco Munoz has been dealt a terrible, terrible, terrible hand by a very bad owner of a football club, which we've underlined the points of. However... He is doing everything in his power to make that hand look 10 times worse than it is. I can't say with any credibility that Sheffield Wednesday wouldn't be in a better state had Darren Moore stayed in. He's tried to change too much too soon. Two of the team that started on Friday night started at Wembley 120 plus days ago in the playoff final against Barnsley. Four months exactly to the day. The most baffling thing is the tactics because you're playing 5-4-1 at home, which is beyond defensive when you can't score goals. You're playing players out of position. Callum Patterson, who's not good enough to play in the championship anyway, is should not be playing left wing back when you've got can't even register. Well, you've chosen not to register Marvin Johnson, and to be three 0 down at home at half time, and not make a tactical change to change formation to even put more attacking players on the pitch. He just accepted they'd lost, and he didn't make a change until the 70th minute, and even that was a light for light change. He's got no tactical acumen whatsoever. And that, for me, no matter how poor things are off the pitch, and until that changes long-term, Sheffield Wednesday are going to struggle. But for the here and now, in terms of staying up and trying to salvage something for this season, Sheffield Wednesday need to make a change in them in the <laughs> department, in my opinion. I also Personally. Want to, I want to give some credit to Sunderland, because Sunderland were excellent. I think Jack Clark is currently the best player in the Championship. He's been absolutely sensational. But it was so easy for them once they'd gone 2-0 up. After eight minutes, they strolled. They could have done whatever they wanted, basically. And Sheffield Wednesday are an absolute mess at the minute, on and off the field. They certainly are. I mean, just very quickly, I'll just mention Sunderland because they do deserve praise. They went with the game plan. They executed it to perfection and as easy as it was. Jack Clark, that boy is on fire right now. The leading goal scorer in the division, seven goals, 28 goal contributions now since the start of last season. Goals and assists in the league, which... Is testament to just how special this young man is. I thought Mason Burstow led the line really well that on Friday night. Left Bambi for the I penalty. Yeah, Bambi's still trying to recover from it right now. Yeah, he, he looked really useful, and Joe Bellingham was busy in the middle. Patrick Roberts was lively down the right hand side. Very good in the last there's, few weeks to say that he was frozen out. Yeah, there is, there's a lot to like about this Sunderland team. They're a very exciting team, very young team, 
But Tony Mowbray, as I've said many, many times in this podcast, you couldn't wish for a better manager at this level to get the best out of young talent. And obviously, I referenced Harvey Elliott's loan at Blackburn under Tony Mowbray a few years ago. Ahmad, on loan from Manchester United, last season flourished under his management. So it just goes to show he is the perfect manager for this. But in terms of, lastly, before we move on, the management situation with Sheffield Wednesday with um, Chisco Munoz, quite clearly, everybody agrees almost now, time is up, he's got to go. Personally, I think for the position Wednesday are in, what the resources that are available, the state of the squad, I think Neil Warnock is the perfect man to turn this around. He is tailor-made for the role, quite simply, in my opinion. He'd be absolutely perfect to try and salvage this. Because let's be honest, Wednesday already, they're, they're going to require a miracle to stay up. They look so bad. It's absolutely atrocious how bad a team they look. But the biggest problem Sheffield Wednesday have, can you imagine Neil Warnock working with Dapon Chancery? They'd beat each other's throats within minutes. There's no doubt about it. And this is what I worry about. Dapon Chansiri continues to pump out statements that are absolutely wild beyond imagination, beyond belief. No manager with credibility in English football is going to want to work for him. That is the problem. And now that he said no additional funds are being put in, there's probably no going to be no transfer budget whatsoever in January. Who knows what's going to happen in the coming weeks and months because I think it'll get far worse before it gets better. So I just fear where Wednesday are going to go because Wednesday can't continue on this trajectory. The fans deserve better. And I speak speak as a fan. We deserve better. This club has got phenomenal support. It was proven last season at the end of the campaign. It's been proven they've taken a full, a full away end to West Brom on Tuesday night, bottom of the league, two points. It, that the fans deserve better. But like I say, no manager with ounce of credibility is going to want to work for Dave Ponchanceri. So sucking Munoz, it might sound good, but is it going to make the slightest bit of difference? I don't think it would, even though he's got to go. Two five-goal thrillers to move on to now, George. We'll start at Vicarage Road, Watford 2, Middlesbrough 3. Um, really, really good win for this for Middlesbrough. Riley McGree, looking back to his best, took his first two goals very well. They're still very defensively susceptible. I thought the, the optics for Bayo's goal that made it 2-1. Dale Fry didn't look good, did it? Let's be fair. But they look more fluent going forward. They look a little bit more confident. They've got a bit more shape and structure with um, Isaiah Jones playing quite regularly on the right now. Um, Agree was on the left. And then you've got um, Matt Crooks, who's been in some good form. Lovely through ball for Josh Coburn to make it 3-2 as well. Wesley Hoot's goal was beautiful. That was not the finish and the technique of a centre-half. Um, that was to make it 2 all. But then, as I say, Coburn got the winner. Coburn very nearly went on loan to Plymouth Argyle in the summer. Instead, he stayed at Middlesbrough and he's keeping Latty Laugh out of the team at the minute. So, really good win for Middlesbrough. They've had a good couple of weeks under Carrick and starting to starting to just build the confidence now and starting to climb away from that relegation zone, which they were never going to stay in, let's be honest. They most certainly are. They, they've had a good week. Three wins out of three in, in League and Cup. Progressed in the Carabao Cup in the week with a win at Bradford City. And obviously, they beat Southampton to get that first league win last weekend and then I must admit, I fancied them to win at Watford at the weekend. I had them as my uh, as my shock for the podcast. And I really do fancy Borough because I saw something in that Southampton game that almost made it feel like a Michael Carrick team again. Yeah, the, the, the start to the season that they had, it was really, really poor. It was really underwhelming. But at the end of the day, you've got to take into account and appreciate just how much quality was lost from that side last season. First of all, obviously, the 28 goals of Chubrakpom. Any team's going to miss that. But then you look at the standard of quality that they had in those lone players last season. Cameron Archer, Ryan Giles, Ramsey, Stefan. They, they had some very, very good players last well, season on loan. Big clubs, George. That's the, have, biggest, that's the biggest. <laughs> that's the thing, isn't it? Cameron Archer, now at Sheffield United. Ryan Giles got the move to Luton Town. And, you know, it was going to take a lot of recovery to, to sort of get over that and adjust because they went down a very different recruitment path to what many of us expected. But Riley McGree is the man who's popping up at the moment. Three goals in his last two games. I must say he took his goals really, really well at the weekend at Vicarage Road. And for, for him now, Michael Carrick will be thinking, yeah, Riley McGree is one of the better midfielders in this league. If we can get goals out of him, get the quality out of him that we've got, we're going to start to climb the ladder. So I think Borough have got a lot to be optimistic about now. They've had a rough start. There's no doubt about that. But when you, you look at their recent form, they've taken seven points from the, the last three games. They've won back-to-back games for the, obviously the first time this season. So there's a lot of confidence now about the group. And it's just a case of can they continue that moving forward? They've got a, 
A tough couple of games, though, before the uh, international break. This week, they've got some really tough games. Cardiff at home on Tuesday night, and we'll talk about the Bluebirds and their form shortly. And then they go to Sunderland next uh, next Saturday in the lunchtime kickoff. So, two really big games coming up for Borough. So, it'd be really interesting to see, because I think there are a couple of games where Michael Carrick's side genuinely could get six points. They could get four. They could get three. They could get nothing. They're two really hard games to call, because if they're up and at it, like we saw against Southampton, like we saw at Watford, they can be a very, very good match for anybody in this league. So a big week for Borough, I feel, but certainly feels like they're turning the corner. For Watford, I'm a little bit concerned for them. I must admit, they, they had a really good start. Obviously, thrashing QPR on the opening day, but it's it's pretty much been downhill from there, really, hasn't it? There's not been an awful lot to smile about. They've had, they've had one win since. That was against Birmingham in, in mid-September. They've lost their last two games now. They're leaking goals quite a, quite a bit recently as well. It must be said, thirteen goals conceded now this season, and you know they've, they've conceded eight in the last three games, which is a little bit alarming. So talk of a new contract with Valerie Ismail, maybe it was a little bit premature, because at the minute, even though it's not been what you could class a disastrous start, it's certainly not been a very very good one. I think it's fair to say. So a big week for both teams, but for Borough, things at long last looking up. Yes, I don't think Valerie Ismail will be getting a new contract at Watford personally, given their track record. Um, Stoke City, they produced the comeback of the weekend. They beat Bristol City 3-2 with a dramatic late winner. Um, Sam Bell and Narky Wells had put the Robins 2-0 ahead. But the comeback that we didn't really see coming, a screamer from uh, Mehdi Laris and made it 2-1. Said Hakash Banovic made it 2-0 with a good finish from a low cutback. But the story of the game, George, was Nathan Lowe. He is the story of the weekend. 18 years old, second championship appearance, ball up to the back post, and there he is to tap in the winner, takes it with aplomb, gets a big serenade from the away fans as well, who are in that top tier at Ashton Gate. Um, And it's just great to see. I don't really know most of Stokes' players at the minute, it feels like. Obviously, I do know them, but it just feels like I don't know what their best team is. I said this on the pod last week. Are they a back three? Are they a back four? who's in favour, who's not. It feels like Alex Neal signed loads of players in the summer and yet we've still got people like Nathan Lowe from the academy popping up. We've got Sadibi who's been in and around the squad. I don't know where all these players are coming from. <laughs> I'm a little bit confused with Stowe. They're definitely the club in the championship. I don't feel like I've got a grip on the most at the moment. But And at 2-0 down, having been what, what, the, what 18th in the table before the weekend, and 2-0 down at Bristol City, things not looking very good. And then they've just pulled this one out of absolute thin air. So I'm a bit confused by Stoke at the moment. I said that last week. I still feel confused by them and this comeback has not changed that. If anything, it's only added to it. Yeah, I can see where you're coming from. I really can. And I think the biggest thing for Stoke City, and it's something that I said quite a lot last season, is they simply cannot string a run of positive results together. That's the biggest problem that Alex Neal's had ever since he took that job. And I think it's something that's happening again this season. They're yet to win back-to-back games. Of course, brilliant comeback to win at, uh, at Ashton Gate on Saturday. You just mentioned there, obviously being 2-0 down within the first 15 minutes. It looks like being a really long afternoon at the office, but they, they got the goal back within five minutes, went into half-time 2-1 down, then immediately got themselves level two minutes after the break and then obviously won it right at the death with a, a dream goal for Nathan Lowe, which is what most young boys dream of when they're playing for the boyhood club is scoring a last-minute late winner. And obviously he achieved that. But I think for Stoke, like you said, there's been a lot of new players go in there over the summer. They've not yet hit top gear. A lot of the signings, in my opinion, so far have underperformed and underwhelmed. Been been impressed by Andre Vidigal, I must admit. He's had a good start to his to his Stoke City career. One or two others as well have shown flashes. But overall, a lot of new players still going through that adapting phase. I think you've got to sort of take that into account that it, when you sign 16, 17 new players, you've got to give it time to gel, give it time to click. And I think for Alex Neal, like I've said many, many times over the past 12 months, really, since he got the job, is you've got to now find a way to get a run of consistency. And when you bear in mind, then it's a couple of games, Southampton at home on Tuesday night and then Leicester away next Saturday. And then after that, after the international break, they've got a really tough run. Sunderland, Leeds, Middlesbrough and Cardiff. It's not an easy crop of games coming up for Stoke. So this could be quite a big period for Alex Neal, both to sort of get a tune out of this crop of players, get some consistency and potentially for his Stoke City career as well. Because 
I think when Stoke appointed him for Sunderland last August, when they uh, they robbed him from the, the Stadium of Light, they would have expected a hell of a lot more than what he's done so far. And Granted, a big rebuild took place over the summer, and you do need to give it time, but there is going to become a time where the Stoke board turn around and say, look, now is the point where we need we need a return on this investment. We've spent quite a bit like of money in the summer. We saw a bit of what Stoke could be in the back end of last season. Then We did. Well, they had that 10 games where they were unbelievable, and then they had... Another limp, like six games to finish the season. So, like, okay, what's the summer going to entail? They brought back quite a lot of the loanies that have been good, minus Smallbone. You know, they got an upgrading goal uh, with Mark Travers. They got Hoover back. They got Ben Pearson back. You know, they've got Campbell fit now. They brought in a few foreign inputs, but then like they brought Wesley in, which came from absolute nowhere. And they've I'd forgotten made... all about him, to be fair. I didn't like, realize he was still at Villa. I, I just like they sold Josh Tynan, but they don't really have a left back. I don't. I just don't quite get stuff. Yeah. No, it is a peculiar one, and I think you've made a good point there. Where they had that that bit of a, a little spell towards the end of last season, even though the end of last season wasn't great. They did, they did actually lose four of the last oh, five at the end of last season. In March, it or... was in March. I remember that period in March where, and you'll remember it as well because obviously you were there when they beat Blackburn three two on the Friday night. Four one. I watched Coventry, that game. where they absolutely four nil win at Coventry. Yeah, they, they were brilliant, and I actually remember four days after you watched them beat Blackburn. It was another game that was live on TV when they went to Middlesbrough away from home. Yeah, I watched that game. They drew 1-1. Stoke that night were absolutely fabulous. It was one of the best away performances I'd seen in the Championship all season last year. So there is certainly an element about Stoke where they can produce the goods. They've got it in them. They are capable of it. But we just don't see it often enough. But let's take into account, we're, we're talking about them as though they lost again at the weekend and they actually did win. They produced a heroic comeback to win that game. So you've got to give credit where credit's due. They, you know, to come from 2-0 down away from home and win. Confusing. I don't understand. Yes, you're confused. Well, let's see if they can uh, try and sew a, a string of results together. But like I say, this, this coming week, two really difficult games, Southampton and Leicester. So let's see what happens uh, this time next week when we know how to sit down and re- record the latest episode. So big, big week for Stoke, but they've got to try and, like I say, just got to find that consistency. They desperately need it. Swansea City, back-to-back wins for them. Big, big boost. They beat Millwall 3-0 at the Den. Um, not sure what's going on with Millwall at the minute, but let's talk about Swansea. Big win for them. Statement win of the season. Jamal Lowe, Matt Grimes, uh, Kurashev. I think I've got, might have got that right. Let's find out um, by the comments. They got the goals for Swansea. They did have a bit of fortune because Bartov Bielkowski should do lots better for the Max Grimes goal. It goes right under him and that makes it 2-0 and knocks all the stuff in out of Millwall but I thought Millwall like they beat Rotherham everyone beats Rotherham at home and they weren't even spectacular to do that so they've been poor for a little bit and Swansea they must have been licking their lips with Swansea coming as well who obviously been been in bad form before beating Sheffield Wednesday again everyone beats Sheffield Wednesday so they should have felt confident getting a result against Swansea but Swansea have gone there played really well got some confidence now and they've had a really bad week with injuries as well. I don't know if you've seen this, but Joe Allen's out till Christmas. Uh, Gilenny's going to miss the entire season having ruptures of his Achilles. Nathan Wood's going to be out till around Christmas as well. So that's a big blow for Swansea. Um, and I picked them for my shock for the weekend and then read all these injuries and very nearly changed it. But I'm glad I didn't in the end. And I, I, I gave a little bit of an argument last week about Duff in his defence and saying, you know, they were a mid-table team, really, a lower half mid-table team under Martin, if you minus the good runs when the pressure was off at the end of each season. Lost the best player. So it's going to take a bit of time and hopefully Swansea fans will just give him a bit of time after these couple of wins. I don't think he's been great with some reason. He probably could do with a bit of media training, uh, Michael Duff, with some of the things he's said. But I think there's a good manager in there and I think if Swansea fans can give him a bit of time, I do think that he will get them on the right track. Yeah, I agree. I like what he did at Barnsley last year. He got Barnsley playing a really nice style of football and obviously they missed out in the playoff final at Wembley and Michael Duff at that point was a man in demand. He he was a very, very good lower league manager. He did well at Cheltenham, did well at Barnsley, earned the right to step up into the championship for the first time. And it was like you said, it was always going to take a little bit of time to adjust and adapt. When you've played such a strategic way under Russell Martin, any new manager who comes in, you are going to have to take a little bit of time to adapt. Swansea have obviously had a very strict playing style down the years, but Russell Martin's passing game was, as we've seen at Southampton, it's to the extreme. But 
like Middlesbrough, Swansea in the last couple of weeks have started to turn the screw. Back-to-back wins, sim- exactly the same as Middlesbrough. Seven points from the last nine, exactly the same as Middlesbrough. And when you actually do zoom out, and I know there's been a few draws in there, Michael Duff so far has actually avoided defeat in more league games than he's lost so far. I think you've got to give him credit for that. And like you said, Perot was a huge loss going to Leeds United. They lost a hell of a lot of goals and a hell of a lot of, a hell of, a lot of technicality in there with his, his all-round game and linking things and with the way he could drop deep to play the ball and things like that. But back-to-back wings, back-to-back 3-0 victory as well, back-to-back clean sheets, of course. It's positive. It's It steps in the right direction. And it was so nearly three wins in a row because it was in the 92nd minute when QPR equalised in that 1-1 draw a couple of weeks ago. So I think for, for Swansea and Michael Duff, there is an element of excitement now. They can look forward. They've got over that little hurdle. Can they build on it? We, we've spoken about, obviously, the, the table this season so far being quite tightly condensed. All of a sudden, Swansea are only two points off Plymouth in 13th. Out of nowhere, they've they've pretty much caught them up and they, they can look up the table now, hopefully, and instead of looking over their shoulder. Obviously, still early days. Things can change again quickly. But I think for Duff now, big couple of wins, back-to-back clean sheets, big weight off his shoulders, might just free them up a little bit more now. Fixtures are interesting this coming week. Norwich at home Wednesday night, tough game. Then Plymouth away next Saturday, very tough game again. Then they've got Leicester after the international break. So another big period with a a, a good couple, uh, you know, a good few tests on the horizon. But a couple of wins, confidence will be sky high. Let's see how they do. But uh, I think for Michael Duff, it was always going to take time, and slowly but surely, it feels like it's uh, beginning to work out for him. Big victory for Coventry City. They beat Queen's Park Rangers 3-1 on Saturday. Uh, obviously, I was doing a little live run <laughs> in, in last week's podcast. Um, Huddersfield obviously equalised in the last kick of the game. So it was six without a win for, for Mark Robbins' side going into this game. Bit of a slow start to the season. But they took the chances in this one. And Ellis Sims is on the scene, George. He's arrived. Price tag is not really performed to that level so far. Um, it's not his fault, obviously, how much Swansea, uh, Coventry have paid for him. But... He's taken a little bit of time to adapt, but he took the goals really well. First one, a really predatory finish through the legs of the goalkeeper. And the second one, a good strike as well. Coventry, as I say, was six without a win. Bit of pressure building, a lot of draws in there. Very disappointing to concede late against um, Huddersfield. But they got the job done. Um, They're looking good. Josh Eccles got second. That one took a bit of a deflection, but he's been very good at the start of this season. He's certainly progressed, having broken to the team as sort of a a right wing-back option. He's now playing regularly in the heart of midfield. Uh, Jamie Allen came back into the team for this. I think they're a better team when Jamie Allen's in it. Personally, I think he's a goal threat. Um, and with Goddard and Sims, if Sims can play well, I still want... Goddard's been in good form this season, but I still would like to see Hadji Wright and Sims get a run together. Personally, I think that could be a, an exciting partnership. Lewis Binks has settled in quite well as the left centre-back, especially when you consider the money they spent to bring Liam Kitchen in from Barnsley. He's not really had a look yet. What a save from Ben Wilson to keep out uh, the header, I think it was from Lyndon Dykes. Was that a really, really good save? He's been, he was top draw last season. I think we both put him in our championship teams of the season. So he needs to continue to be in good form and have a good season if Swansea, if, why do I keep saying Swansea? If Coventry are going to keep working their way up the league table, then they're going to need that um, to get themselves right back up and amongst it. But this was a good win for them. QPR having praised them a fair bit over the last few weeks despite the results, they've got one win in their last 19 games at home, back in the bottom three and uh, looking a bit desperate again. They certainly are looking a little bit desperate and QPR's home record, as you've just outlined there, it is nothing short of shambolic, let's be honest. I had a look at it actually yesterday. They've taken seven points from the last 45 available this calendar year at Loftus Road. They've won one home game this calendar year, which speaks for itself. It's an absolutely shocking return. And it's almost as though every time they step out onto the pitch at home, you know they're beaten before the game's even kicked off. It's a really mysterious case because away from home, Gareth Ainsworth has actually masterminded some decent performances, both at the end of last season and in the first few weeks of this, away from them. Like I say, they've not looked bad at all. They obviously won at Cardiff, won at Middlesbrough. So it's really, really strange. It's some sort of a hoodoo that uh, that they've got at home. And I think at the same time, as bad as that is, you've, you've got to credit Coventry because they were seconds away from getting that, that, uh, that win against Huddersfield last Monday night. 
They came close a week or so before away at Hull City when they were leading 1-0 until the 87th minute. So they've been close to getting those wins. They've drawn, um, I think it's five of their opening nine games this season. They've only lost two. So it's not as if they've been getting beaten every week. But this feels like a big weight off the shoulders for Mark Robbins because that Coventry team obviously went through a bit of a bit of a transition in the summer. They brought in a lot of new players, lost their two best assets in, in Victor Jokeres and Gustavo Hamer, with Hamer going to Sheffield United and Jokeres going to sunnier, sunnier parts in uh, Portugal, signing for sport in Lisbon. But they recruited on paper quite well. Ellis Sims did well on loan at Sunderland in the first half of last season. Had you right... Though it's not really worked out so far, he arrived with a big with a big price tag around his shoulder, with a, around his shoulder, around his neck, should That's I say? Uh, it is it is an interesting one, um, but no, he's looked sort of patchy. But Ellis Sims the same patchy, but now he's got those first couple of goals. He'll be hoping that that can elevate him to to bigger and better things because there is a really good championship striker in there. It was a it was a statement signing when they got him. Really eye-catching player. Did like I say, did well on Sunderland in the first half of last season. So hopefully now, from Coventry's point of view, that's going to be the, mark the beginning properly of his Coventry career because he did well in pre-season. He was banging the goals in. But obviously, pre-season is very different. So let's see how they can get on. The only slight criticism, which not really a criticism, more of a disappointing element, is the fact that they didn't manage to get a clean sheet. Uh, at QPR at the weekend. It's now uh, five league games without a clean sheet for Coventry and they obviously kept the most clean sheets in the division last season. So that'll be something that uh, Mark Robbins will want to try and improve. But a much needed win and let's see where it takes them. Blackburn up home, uh, up next at home in, in midweek. Yeah, absolutely. Cardiff City, four in a row for them. They are uh, they are flying under Errol Balut. They beat Rotherham United 2-0 at uh, the Cardiff City Stadium. Uh, Keanu Tete showed his quality this week, scored a very good goal against Blackburn in the Carabao Cup, rewarded with a start by Bullet, and uh, he took that by opening the scoring, making it 1-0, keeping the likes of Callum Robinson on the bench at the moment. Uh, and Perry and G wrapped up the game. Rotherham playing a back three um, because they've got no fit centre-back, so Cohen Bramall and uh, Lembekiza having to play either side of Tyler Blackett, who... Probably not good enough to be in the championship anyway. Cameron Humphreys is uh, set for a spell on the sidelines with injury. It's just not going very well for Rotherham at the minute. They're, they're very bad away from home anyway. They've got bad injuries at centre-half. All of the centre-backs are quite old and injured. And they're just not... I mean, I think they had seven players on the bench, was it? They certainly didn't fill a full bench. They're just really struggling at the minute. But for Cardiff... Good win for them. They're doing well. We thought they'd get up the table. I mean, I don't expect them to stay in and around the top six. They're currently sixth. They've got 16 points from nine games, obviously. Four of those, they had, uh, how many, they had, what's the maths? They have four, four points after five games. So things have changed quite quickly and they've shot the table. I think they'll level themselves out somewhere in mid-table and that should be a good season in Cardiff City fans' eyes considering the last couple of years that they've had. Definitely, without any shadow of a doubt. And we both said, didn't we, in the podcast that we did in the international break when we, we ranked the um, top five windows of the summer, we put Cardiff in within that top five. Really smart, shrewd signings, I thought, for the circumstances that they've been in. The likes of Josh Bowler, Carl and Grant coming in. Really good championship signings. Obviously, Mark McGuinness signing a new contract as well. That was another huge boost for them. And I think it's really, really impressive because Errol Bullet, I remember him, he said a few weeks ago, I think it was prior to the win over Swansea, which kick-started this little run. I think he actually said that the Championship was proving a hell of a lot tougher than he originally anticipated it would be when he first got the job. And he's making it look quite easy so far. There have been some really good performances in there from Cardiff. Obviously, they, they raced into a 2-0 lead at Leeds on the opening day and got pegged back very, very late on. They were 2-0 up at Ipswich and lost that game. So they've been really competitive in pretty much every game they've played so far this season. And I think the biggest thing for Cardiff is, obviously, we mentioned, didn't we, a lot over the summer that the biggest thing they got to address was the goal-scoring troubles. They went out and they brought some, brought in some really good attacking players, the likes of Yakumete, Carlin Grant, Josh Bowler, to name just a few. Iki Yugbo came in on loan as well. But I think another big thing for Cardiff is when you look at their home form so far, they've won four, four home games so far this season. They only won six in the entirety of last season at home. So that shows that there's a big improvement there. Errol Bullets clearly looked at it and said, look, we need to turn this place into a bit of a fortress again. We need to make teams fearful of coming here 
and so far they're doing that. And yes, you've got to take into account that they were up against a Rotherham team that seemingly are absolutely terrified whenever they go away from home. I think I've worked out a stat that's going on the podcast on Monday that I think it's something like, I haven't got it to hand at the minute, I think it's seven points they've taken away from home this calendar year, Rotherham, six or seven, they've all been in draws. They've not won away from home in the Championship now for nearly a year, which is quite concerning. Let's be honest, I think it was November the last time they won away from home and they won at Bramall Lane against Sheffield United. So Rotherham have got to find a way, one way or another, to sort this away form out because at home, they're often one of the toughest nuts to cracks in the toughest nuts to crack in the division. Let's be honest; they have got a reputation for being really difficult to play against at the New York Stadium. They do make it tough for anybody. I mean, they've they've beaten Norwich there already this season. They got a point off Preston. They push Leicester every step of the way. They've 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 got such a contrasting way of being at home and then going away and thinking, "Oh my God, what the hell are we going to do? We're going to lose." It's just really really weird. But for Cardiff, excellent start to the season. Will they tail off? Will they sort of slide down the tail back to where we expect them to be? Maybe, maybe not. Stranger things have happened. You can never predict anything in this league. But as you look at Cardiff at this moment in time, sixth after nine games with a brand new manager, a very, very much changed team. I think you can't, you've got to give a huge amount of credit to what Errol Bullitt's done so far. Really, really impressive. Really, really eye-catching. Middlesbrough away midweek, tough one. Then Watford at home next Saturday, another tough one. But let's see what happens. But overall, a very, very good start. And then finally, Norwich City, they beat Birmingham 2-0. Uh, good for them to get back-to-back wins on the board. Uh, Gabriel Sara with a box-crashing run and a header to get himself uh, his second of the season. And then a, a really good driving run from John Rowe. Um, two very good goals. He's very two-footed, isn't he, Rowe? I think he's scored as many with his left foot, it feels like, than his right. He's very two-footed. Quality player. Great. He's been so good. A fresh, fresh, fresh air coming in. He's giving Norwich that that impetus, that drive from central areas and from out wide, comes back in on his uh, left foot, his supposed weaker foot, drives it into the bottom corner for 2-0. Birmingham, not had a great run of results of late. Obviously, Drew with QPR last weekend. Norwich, they've been very... Norwich have been particularly good at Carrow Road, which is something that's quite novel given how poor they were at home last year. But they're starting to hit the ground running again. We, we said they dropped off a little bit after um, Sargent had got injured and then, of course, um, Ashley Barnes as well getting uh, ruled out for a lengthy period. But Adam Eder's doing all right up front. Sara, they're going to need more goals from him and they're going to need John Rowe to keep scoring the goals. Yeah, they are. And I think the most pleasing aspect for David Wagner will be the fact that they've responded with a victory after that 6-2 Morland at Plymouth seven days earlier. When you've lost like that, you've got to get a response at the first time of asking, and that's exactly what they produced. And it was a bit of a slow burn, and they had to wait till the second half, but they got the job done. And for Norwich now, it's four wins out of five at home this season, along with Cardiff and Preston. They've taken the most points at home in the Championship so far this season. They're, they're slowly turning Carroll Road into, back into a little bit of a fortress again. Only Leicester have gone there and won, and Leicester have, of course, won every away game they've played so far this season. So that's not to be not to be sniffed at at all. So I think for David Wagner, he deserves a lot of credit because yes, they, they had a bad day at Plymouth. They, they did have a bad day. And like I said earlier on, when talking about Preston's defeat to West Brom, every team at some point has an off day in this division. It happens. Bit, a bit embarrassing to concede six, but it's over and done with now. They've responded with a victory. But I think for Norwich, the big thing is we were very, very critical really in the summer of what they'd done in terms of their recruitment even though at the same time as a caveat, I did point out they did need a blend of experience in that team, which they got. But overall, they've had a solid start to the season. Jonathan Rose obviously been the shining light. Gabriel Saar has been his usual busy, excellent self. And they're in seventh spot after the first nine games. It's a good, solid return. They're only four points off, off third place. They're, they're ticking along nicely. But for Birmingham, they're, they're certainly having a wobble. That early momentum has fallen off. However, You've got to take into account their injury problems. They've got so many key personnel missing at the moment. I think I read it on, they've got something like double figures in terms of player, players out injured. Lee Buchanan, Ethan Laird, Keshi Anderson among them. So, you know, they've lost key players from their, their first few first few games of the season. So it's, to, it's natural to expect to drop off when any team loses key personnel. But I think the, the thing for John Eustace that'll be a little bit concerning is the fact that the goals have dried up. And that's the problem because... Birmingham didn't really go out in the summer and bring in what you would describe as a 
an outstanding number nine signing, even though Jay Stansfield's a very exciting prospect and has had a good start, they didn't get that sort of top class number nine that they wanted to do as established ready at this level. And that's not a not a criticism of Jay Stansfield at all because he's he's been brilliant. He's scored their last three league goals. He's had a really good start. But Birmingham now, one goal scored in the last four games, lost three in that run as well. It is a little bit concerning. Got to find a way to get back on track. But like I said earlier on, Injuries certainly not helping this situation at all. No, absolutely not. Two games that finished in draws. That was Huddersfield 1, Ipswich 1, which was nearly a first win for Darren Moore to kickstart his uh, his Huddersfield reign. He's picked up as many points at Huddersfield this season as Sheffield Wednesday. have got points, I've just realised, which is nice. Um, Bergzog, he's been in charge for just over a week. Yes, Bergzog scored um, the opening goal, but that was cancelled out by Brandon Williams with a late equaliser. And Hull City do nothing but draw at home. It seems like every single... I swear we haven't spoken about a Hull game where they played at home for a long time. They drew one all with Plymouth Argyle with uh, Randall and Regan Slater on the score sheet. That marks the end of this week's Championship Chat podcast. As always, thank you for listening. Make sure you are subscribed wherever you get your pods from. And make sure... Go on, leave us a review. Five stars, preferably. But just let us know what you think. These things help with the rating. So if you're on Spotify, Apple, drop us a little rating. Leave a little note. Tell us how much better my analysis is than George's or whatever comes to mind. You know, just the, the natural thoughts. And make sure you're following us, as I say, on Twitter at ChampChatPod24. And a huge thank you again to our sponsors, Cars Accepted, for supporting the podcast this season. Make sure you go and check them out. Thank you for listening, and we'll catch you again next week for another episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views, and debate from England's second tier.